unsupervised, I hit my head. It's If You're Listening, one person's mission to force her friend to listen to all the music he avoided in high school. I'm Ramsey. I'm Heather. Hi, Heather. Hi, Ramsey. How are you? I'm good. It is a quiet evening here in Brooklyn. Uh, we're fighting. Snowing. It is snowing. It's been a while since we've had that. I've been really bitching about the fact that it hasn't been snowing, which Ramsey has had to hear offline because I feel like it's already Groundhog Day. I do the same things every day and I don't leave the house. And the weather has also been the same. So I've really been like, it needs to snow. It needs to rain. But now I'm like a little snow obsessed. So, <laughs> so I'm happy. Is your goal that you just want to keep it there as long as possible? Or No, I would like it to be different every day because my <laughs> life is so boring. <laughs> I need like some excitement. What like is, if it could start thundering or something, that'd be great. Okay. What what is the maximum amount of time you will allow snow to stay? If you could, if you were in total hours. Control. Okay. All right. That seems <laughs> fair, and you were ready with an exact count, so I'll take it. That, I don't want to once. That's after in New York. After forty eight hours, it's disgusting. It's dis, It's dirty. It's yucky. No one wants to look at it. It's just mud, literally mud and garbage puddles. I don't want that. Yep. Yeah, no, that is an excellent yeah. point. Yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's all. I would. I, I just want it there. Well, it's pretty. That's really it. Noted. Ramsey. Yes. Would you like to introduce our guest and ask him how long he would like snow to remain? <laughs> Please don't ruin my follow-up questions. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, with us today, it's a big day because we have the guy with glasses from They Might Be Giants, John Flansberg. Hey. Nice welcome. to be here. Hello. Welcome. Short time, first time. <laughs> yeah. We'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> Any no, combo. it's really a, a pleasure to be here uh, on the topic of snowfall. I spent an, I just spent an hour shoveling out my driveway. Ooh. It yeah. was light and fluffy, and I thought I might have a heart attack. <laughs> so uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was good. It was good. It was good. Uh, ro- uh, super high voltage aerobic exercise, <laughs> and uh, and now my car will be able to get out of the driveway, which is the main thing. <laughs> I mean, that is the nice thing right now is when it snows, I just don't go anywhere. I don't have to go anywhere. I can't go anywhere. So I don't have to deal with it. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. it's. I feel like it snowed more this year than it has in the past, like, five or ten. You know, it's been a lot. But it's beautiful. Here in Brooklyn, we had one big snowfall. And then this is this right. is round two for us. Right. Okay, well, there you yeah. go. Yep. That's fine. I'm in a microclimate. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> sure and that doesn't mean i'm totally high <laughs> <laughs> uh john i would be remiss we talk about the music that we loved in high school and um you are band is one of the ones that pretty much the only band i listened to in high school so it's wow. a real honor to have you here wait wait we're not the only if you're playing music from your high school experience you're not just playing they might be giants songs I, on this podcast i i, I pick all the music <laughs> oh, i'm the one getting educated yeah oh, oh you're oh okay because because you were you were deprived a, a normal high school experience by being stuck with they might be giants. Yeah, in a way, this is all your fault. So uh, I appreciate it. <laughs> did, did you buy your first They Might Be Giants album through um, Columbia Record Record House or, or Columbia Music Club or whatever the thing was called? Uh, no, it was. Uh, we I, I grew up in a very small city, so we uh, it had to make the big trip to Rochester, New York, and I got it uh-huh. at Sam Goody. Nice. Picked up Flood. Mm. Nice. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's the official starter album. <laughs> that's right. So. Um, Wow, three-way jinx. (laughs) I I honestly panicked because it was like too many things. Now we have to end the show. Darn it. (laughs) It's been fun, you guys. John, you're the guest. You go first. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess uh, I've been called here to discuss my high school experience, which was um, I, uh, when I, between my junior year and senior year of high school, I uh, f- bluffed my way into getting uh, a European uh, a flight to Europe uh, by se- by um, there was like money to send kids, mostly just to send uh, French speaking students to France. So there was like an exchange summer exchange thing that my school sponsored, and this was this was the summer of 1977. To you music historians, that means two things. Yes, I'm crazy old, and second, I was 17 the year punk rock happened, and I had a, already had a fake ID. I was going to clubs. I was really, really into it. I lived in Boston, and um, I saw when I went to London after sort of 
bluffing my way into this experience of getting saying I was my rap my rap was I was interested in economics and I believed <laughs> that uh, Britain was uh, 20 years ahead of the United States economically and they were going through this incredible depression and it would it's important for people from the United States to understand that economic hardship and they they just were like give this kid all the money just get you know get him to Britain he's going to save the United States and I went to Britain and I brought blue jeans which I sold I brought bootleg records which I sold oh, wow. and I went to and paid for getting into a whole bunch of concerts and saw all these punk rock bands and I saw Elvis Costello's like London debut so I basically saw his he did a one warm up gig the night before but I saw his first real gig in London that's and insane it was totally insane and it was so good it's like hard to even express like I mean it was like life changingly good like I was not I didn't really like play the guitar or think about writing songs or that stuff really that much beforehand and I was like this is this is the thing I, I think I'm really into, and um, it was a really weird show. He played; it seemed like he played for a really long time. He played songs that ended up on his third album at the show when the bass player broke a string. So he already obviously had been like woodshedding like crazy, and the band was mm -hmm. insanely good. It was the Attractions, which is not the band that plays on his first album, which is basically Huey Lewis's backing band. And it's a much more Americana, softcore kind of band. Um, and it was, uh, but it was just a really powerful show. And one, and one thing that was really different about than his later public image was between song. He hadn't figured out this thing out yet, which is how to have a continuous affect. Like <laughs> when he played, he was super like, Intense, like I mean, it was like very intense. I mean, not not as intense as like David Byrne, who I also saw a lot at the same time. David Byrne was one of those people you could not stop watching. It was like when mm -hmm. he, it was like completely magnetic, and in a different way than yeah. he is as a performer now. Like he's a charismatic guy for sure, but back then it was like his head might explode. <laughs> you know, like like Tina Weymouth. I remember seeing the Talking Heads and Tina Weymouth would just watch. David Byrne, like, like he, she'd just be looking at him oh, the wow. way, like, you know, a new mother looks at her baby <laughs> continuously. You know, it's just like it was just like she couldn't stop. But anyway, but he, but but Elvis did this thing that was really wild, which is he was super, um, he's super intense performer. And then as soon as the song stopped, he would just smile. He was like smile. It was he never people hadn't applauded for him before. So he just everything about it. He was just like it's like this is great, you know, <laughs> like, this is great. And he just couldn't hide it. And then, you know, the next time I saw him was in the United States. I dragged all my friends to see him. And he did this, he did like a 20 minute show and he was a complete prick between songs. And then they smashed all their equipment and left. And all my friends were like, yeah, he's great, John. That, guy, <laughs> that guy's fantastic. <laughs> you know, thanks. Cost 15 bucks. <laughs> You know, so, so it was, you know, that was my initial experience with Elvis. And then the, so the album we're going to examine today is, uh, next year's model, which is, was made is his second album made very much on the heels of this crazy critical success and, uh, sort of wild attention. I mean, he got all this, you know, Linda Ronstadt covered the song Allison, which was kind of this breakthrough ballad that he did, um, but this album was a real showcase of that band. And they were just like, you know, four-piece band, keyboards, guitar, bass, and drums. And uh, it, it is kind of the harbinger of like a lot of power pop stuff. You know, it's got Farfisa organ throughout the whole thing. And it's just, it's just a, like a super powerful record that I've always really loved. Had you heard that first album before this one came around or... I like uh, in your email to me, you said like, you don't have to be like a, a Costelloologist or something. I feel like I'm, I'm like pretty proud for uh, coining that, by the well, way. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, I'm like, you know, patient zero in the Elvis Costello hospital. Like, I, you know, I, like I, you know, everything, you know, I, I, I loved him so completely. Like I was very blind to any shortcomings he might've had for many, many years. Like I had friends who could, couldn't get over his voice. They found his voice really strange because mm. he's got a very sort of nasal way of singing. And I was just like, 
Nah, it's it's, it's great. It's a great singer. Everything I about love, him's great. I love emo and pop punk, so I can relate to that issue. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, and and this this album is very has a very pop punk, like it's really wall to wall. Just it's just a band. Just like it could be, could have been recorded in a rehearsal hall, which I th- find very exciting. I love that. Uh, I do want to ask Heather how much you know about Elvis Costello, but I will kick myself if I don't say less than patient zero. Go ahead, Heather. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, (laughs) um, Not a lot. I think I know, I know Allison. I think I probably know a couple other singles. Um, Mainly familiar with his overall aesthetic, uh, the glasses, etc., that he's kind of an asshole. That's kind of it. That's kind of my knowledge ends what more do you need to know right yeah that this will be interesting for me so he doesn't but in the world of power punk power pop punk stuff doesn't does he not like is he not considered some kind of forefather type guy or is that just all gone he i mean he very well may be i think also like we're now on like the Fifth wave of pop punk or something. Right, Who knows? Right, right, so, you right. know, I feel like even people may not even trace their own origins, you know, right. to as far back as this album goes because people making pop punk now are 12 years old. <laughs> right, right. As, as they should be. Yep, right. Yeah, correct. <laughs> oh, oh, just speaking of being young and like I was 17 when I saw him, he was yeah. 21, right? Amazing. And this, but, but the th- this is the thing at the show. He came out on stage and started playing the first song or whatever. And the first thing I couldn't help but notice, he was wearing a wedding ring, which I thought was super weird. <laughs> it was like, he's 21 years old and he's married? Wow. Nobody's married when they're 21. <laughs> it's the 70s. Like, people didn't get, even get married. And he was already married. It was made a very strong impression on me. Like, it seems so mega adult. I guess that's how they do things in England. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Heather, would you like to show me that album art? I sure will. I already sent it to you. I can't even, I'm not, I'm not good at lying. For all the people looking at their podcast <laughs> stuff at home, there he is. He's so I, skinny. This, 20, I love this cover. This I think he was 24. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. 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 I mean, he's, he is not a, he's not a typically a handsome man but what we, Heather as you were saying I didn't mean to oh no I was just I really I don't even know I like the just the the warmth of the photo I really mm. like I also like the typography one thing that I do know about this cover is uh in the very first pressing they I saw that did like a fake version with the or like a mistake with with the printer's marks on the side and like the e clipped oh, off right, the right, Elvis. Right. Right, the, like the four color process bars, yeah, yeah, yeah. which I, I'm sure was some English graphic design school graduates' sophisticated idea that the president of you know Columbia Records was like, we don't do that around here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fix it, fix it. <laughs> well, also Ramsey, as someone who's just recently just picked your soccer team, <laughs> uh, apparently according to Wikipedia, he's a Liverpool fan. Okay. Good to know. Oh, he's from Liverpool. I think he couldn't be allowed. I think he would be. <laughs> they would beat him up if he. They would beat him up again. Right. He, Everything I know about <laughs> uh, Premier League, I learned from Ted Lasso. So I don't really know anything. <laughs> I like that show. <laughs> yeah. It was so strange. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you know why they say it was, speaking of, speaking of branding, why they say it was based on an NBC concept in the credits? I, I actually do know that one. Sudeikis did a bunch of NBC Sports commercials as that character. Oh. And that's where it originated a couple, like, I think a decade ago, maybe, back when he was on SNL. Oh, okay. Well, that, that sort of makes sense. Like, cause I, when I saw that, I was just like, was this like some preemptive legal? Right. Act, like, <laughs> yeah. What does that mean? Yeah. Uh, shall we? Right. Shall we get into this? I believe <laughs> Let's we shall. Dive in. Great. I don't want to kiss you. I don't want to. Even not being very familiar with Elvis Costello, I do think I could like pick this very quickly out of a lineup as Elvis Costello. Right. right. So what else were you listening to at this time that you were like getting into this? 
this sounds uh, strange and probably would might sound strange. People would go like, "Oh, I was listening to this like podcast with the guy from They Might Be Giants, and he was like." He said, oh, all he'd listen to is punk rock, because that is, like, officially the bullshit thing that people say <laughs> in interviews. Like, what are you into? Punk rock. Like, I'm telling you, like, I was the exact the exact age to be, like, hypnotized by everything regarding U.S. and British punk rock. Like, my friend Jimmy Mack uh, got, like, the Talking Heads' first single, like, Uh-Oh, Loves Comes to Town as, like, a promo, and I just remember going over to his house. Like, we, I think we literally skipped school to listen <laughs> to this promo single. And all the stuff in the New York scene was very, we were very aware of, like, bands that mean very little to people now, like The Tough Darts or Mink DeVille or, like, Per Ubu, which is a band from Ohio that came to New York and played. And they would all, a lot of these New York bands would drive up to Boston. That would be the one show that they would do outside of New York. Yeah. And when I saw them, I thought they were on tour. I thought, hmm. you know, but I was also sitting in an audience, like, of 30 people thinking that they were rock stars. Like, my perceptions as a 16 and 17-year-old were very skewed. You know, I, rec- I bootlegged every, every show... I saw the Cars, like their second show, wow, which was like super weird. They were so when you couldn't understand the words, the Cars were such a good band. <laughs> it was like not, <laughs> um, but uh, so yeah, I went to I went to like punk, the Rat Skeller in Boston, which was like a punk rock club. Yep. I had a fake idea I could get into it, Perfect. and um, and then uh, this is a very cool song. These drum the drummer in this band is like so good it's very Ringo when is this a play is the title a play on this song this this period in his thing he was sort of like uh, focusing up on this like weird very like um, hostile uh, vague like sort of cryptically misogynistic kind of cryptically almost incel kind of character Mm. like he he really had it was like he had a tough time with ladies was like the general impression you got it was like he was unloved and unlovable um meanwhile wedding ring yeah yeah no i, I mean i don't th- i think it was very much a character it was very mm-hmm. much a like a persona that he wa- he really chose to amplify i mean that's why i mean who he is now and what he represents now like he just seems like an affable he seems like a, a like a a what do you call it like a a, a, a fellow well met. What is what is hmm. that? There's some there's some ha- archaic term. What is Hail it? fellow well met. Is that what Hail it is? fellow well met? Yeah. He just seems like. You know, are you not familiar with this expression, Heather? No. Have you not been, <laughs> I am not. Have you not been reading Charles Dickens? Um, <laughs> no. He just, no. It just means like you know like you're a get along guy. Like he seems like the ultimate get along guy, and um, he was the opposite. He was like playing so hard to like back then. It was just like. It was just not, it was nonstop. Um, I saw him live, I want to say 2017 or so, and probably the second to last song of the night, somebody heckled him. And nice. Yeah, the, the crowd really tensed up of like, what is this guy going to do? Like, there's two Elvis Costellos that could show up right now. Uh, and Interesting. He, he, how, uh, and what, how did he heckle him? So... I'm, I know I'm going to get details wrong here, but in the news, a bunch of artists were, I think this is right, were boycotting Israel uh, and saying, we're not going to play there. Uh, and so somebody yells out, why do you hate Israel, Elvis? And uh, Interesting question. <laughs> uh, the floor was not open, though. So <laughs> Right. Um, right. He, he kind of takes a why, moment. Why does he hate Israel? <laughs> It's the how long have you beat your wife question. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, he, he just pauses and then he goes, this one's for you. And he plays a, a mellow version of peace, love and understanding. And it was perfect. It was oh, just took the air out of everything. Well, there you go. Yeah. That feels like an expensive show to go to to heckle. Like, yeah, <laughs> feels weird. And to wait until like I have an agenda, but I'll wait till the first encore. <laughs> It was yeah. Yeah, like this person could not have been that mad because they paid a <laughs> right. good amount. I can imagine a good amount of money. I can imagine that was in a higher end New York City venue. And yeah, that seems weird to me. Well, he had probably already played Pump It Up. 
<laughs> there, there's right. this whole weird thing about Elvis Costello shows in New York where, where Pump It Up was a, sort of a hit on WNEW, which was like a powerful FM station at the time that would occasionally play like a new wave song. Like they would play mm-hmm. like a police song. Ooh. Yeah. But it's like now it's back Crazy. to the Ooh and back to the Rolling Stones. <laughs> or they play like a Blondie song. Ooh. And the one song that Elvis did that broke through was Pump It Up. So every time you come to New York City, the whole audience would be like, Play pump it up, play pump it up. Like eat long, like long, and you know he'd be like playing a show with the string quartet, and there'd be people going like play pump it up. It's like the last thing he wants to do is play pump it up with the string quartet, but it just they would never let it go. So, I mean, not it's it's easier it's easier to respond to than why do you hate Israel? Yep. But you know, yeah. Just like, I mean, I've never had that kind of personality, but the I like. The, abil- the ability to heckle is not something that I, I would I would die. I, I could not <laughs> possibly. Oh, I, I've, I mean, I can tell you, as I've been heckled and it can be like very uh, soul crushing. It's, it's like it's, it's not very easy to get used to. Like you, um, I actually, I'm just thinking of like the one time the one time we got one time we got booed and uh, it fre- completely Rude. freaked me out. <laughs> uh, John Linnell was like having like a health. He was like, got, having like a heat stroke. Oh. We were playing in this place where he walked out of a dressing room that was like seventy degrees onto a stage that was like one hundred and ten degrees, and he basically just like keeled over. And and I was just like, oh my god, like this is. At first, he sat down on stage, like he just like lay, he sort of like lay down on the edge of the stage, and I was like. This is like, I've never seen him do, like, I don't know what he's doing now, but this has never happened before. It's not normal. Yeah, yeah, I was like, it was like, is this some new kind of Linnell? And, and, uh, and then, and then then it just, then he just, I realized he was like totally like out of it. And then I had to tell the audience, like we were, we were, you know, we had to leave because, you know, John was not well and everybody booed and I I felt, I felt so like, it's just totally in reverse of what you want your right. life experience to be and it was like very memorable and awful but, uh, uh, I'm, I'm a teacher by day and occasionally a student will will get a, a a riff in where it's like okay that was funny i'll, I'll accept your <laughs> damn i thought you were gonna say boo you yeah. and i really just liked the idea of just a bunch of students being like boo <laughs> Their teacher. The idea of students applauding me or booing me makes me very uncomfortable. I do not want that. Um, I love it. That's gonna be a. That's gonna go viral on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am excited though because Pump It Up is next, and I don't know what that song is. I want to. I, I, I want another New York City hit. <laughs> oh, exactly, exactly. But um, so, oh, oh, Heather. I was just gonna say, so. Did you come to this album? You were you like waiting for this album to come out and were excited about it? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I I heard this album the like the day it came out. I did not hear the UK version of it, although that that came out like the week before, and has like there's like, I think there are different songs. There's different songs on it. There's actually uh, and and different artwork. Um, that's got the artwork you were referring to, Ramsey, and. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, you know, it's such a big production compared to the, pre- the it's such a tough sounding record compared to the first one, and it was so much more like the live show, and I was just sort of aware that the band was kind of on its way, you know. He had a very powerful band, the drummer, mm-hmm. every, everybody in the band is kind of a ringer, and, uh, and really had a great streamlined aesthetic. Um, and like, the, like the whole choice of having like a Farfisa organ is like very, like it's just so cool. Um, like they didn't try to make it sound bigger. It's like real, real kind of tough. I know that they kind of reunited the uh, the attractions. Is that right? Well, I, I mean, Elvis Costello and the bass player, who is they're both the drummer and the bass player both the last name are thomas but they're not related which is like something that took me a while to figure out um like uh 
but Bruce Thomas is the bass player. Bruce Thomas and Elvis had like some kind of long, long-standing feud. Mm-hmm. I think I think Bruce Thomas wrote some novel that was kind of this backstage uh, and thing that basically made Elvis Costello seem like a total jerk. And I think that did not go over well with Elvis. But can't you know, imagine. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is like this is like. A, you know, we're having a conversation, so like I'm immediately moving to like cocktail party gossip levels of conversation, and I, and I realize like this that people will hear this and it will get repeated, <laughs> and um, so I'm trying to check myself a little bit. Yeah. But um, ah, uh, fuck it. Uh, <laughs> I, I years ago we had an A and R guy who uh, he, he was. He ran Stiff Records. He started Stiff Records. His, uh, his name is Robinson, um, Dave Robinson. And Dave Robinson is like this amazing, he's like one of those, in the era that we live in now where ev- there's a, been a documentary movie about everyone ever. Sure. He's like, yeah. he's like in my life of all the people I've ever met, he's like the person I'm thinking, why haven't they made a documentary mm. about him? His first job, he never went to college. His first work job was as a guitar tech for Jimi Hendrix. And it gets wow. crazier from there. <laughs> yeah. And he's like this Irish guy. He's a great storyteller. Amazing, amazing storyteller. And so he ran Stiff Records. And um, he said that, he said this thing to me, because I, like, I was such a fan. And I, I like had to sort of just like buttonhole him and say, like, what was it like? Like, you signed. I was still, you, you saw him and said, like, I think that guy should be making records. And he was, he said all these crazy things. Like, he was like, he was like, first of all, Elvis Costello was super young and he was a fan of other bands, like, in a big time way that made him seem even younger. Like, he would hmm. come around, he would, like, give people his take. Like, nothing makes you seem like an amateur more than like coming up yeah. with your demo tape saying like, I really like your band. Here's your demo tape. And he was that guy. And, and specifically there was this band. Here's it. Now here's a band that nobody knows. Dr. Feelgood, wildly influential band in Britain. They started this thing called pub rock. There actually is a documentary about them. That's on Netflix right now, or no on criterion channel right now made by Julian temple. And the guitar player in that band the weird thing is when you see Elvis Costello perform back then, he's got this herky-jerky way of playing, like he kind of moves towards you in this backwards and forwards way. And uh, that thing that he does is completely taken from the guitar player in Dr. Feelgood, which is so specific. It's really, really strange. Like imagine somebody like with like their most personal affect and then like just, yeah. just grabbing it. And totally going running with it. That's exactly who Elvis Costello was. He just was like, I'm going to be like that. The guy's name is Wilco Johnson. And so if you YouTube Wilco Johnson 1975, you will see a guy making all of Elvis Costello's 1978 moves. But Dave Robinson said this crazy thing to me, which was, he said, "If, if the young Elvis Costello could get into a time machine, he would go forward in time and kill... The, the the old Elvis Costello, <laughs> and I was like, "What do you mean?" And it's just like he was just like he had this impossible, like double cool rock lit. He was like he was a real, really like a street guy in a certain way, and like and just had this very take no prisoners, like just you know, like the whole idea of being like an art rock guy or being like a serious artist would have just seemed like total bullshit to him, mm. you know, yeah. which is a really weird idea. I mean, considering he named, he he went with the name Elvis Costello, which is such a shocking... Yeah. I mean, that is a weird stage name. Well, I don't know what you're supposed to make of that. What do you make? I mean, and I'll tell you, I, wanted the, I went to the show because of his name. And I, so I had no idea. I didn't know really know who I was seeing. And the first time, like certainly a, a legacy of uh, stealing other people's legacies here now, like naming himself Elvis as well as like his big intro. And Elvis, the weird thing also, when I saw them the first time, Elvis hadn't the real Elvis hadn't died yet. He was alive. Oh, I didn't even think about that. He was alive. <laughs> so I was just like, what? And then and then like and then the real Elvis died like a month later. 
which seemed like super, can only be one. super bad timing. Wow. Do you think he ever tried to go as just Elvis for a while then? Oh, like, well, I think I think he felt like he must have felt, I think he said something to the effect of like he felt like it was just foisted on him by hmm. Dave Robinson and by his manager who wanted him to stick out. Oh, interesting. A very kind of punk rock new wave thing to give yourself a super clowny kind of poke you in the chest kind of name. <laughs> you know, it's like pushy in a weird way. Right. So I was look uh, yeah, I was looking up his real name because I I think I knew it was a stage name, but I definitely did not know his real name. Declan Patrick McManus. Yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. Takes more letters on the marquee. Yeah, too many. Too many letters. <laughs> so oh also so I did know Pump It Up. I had a feeling you I would. was familiar oh. with that song. Yeah. yeah, I did know that one. I feel I feel so old. I feel so freaking old. <laughs> I, I I mean I am I am old, but it's also it's just, it's it's weird to me just because it's like it, it seems like such a well I mean a lot a lot of people didn't he was people didn't pay that much attention to him but but the smart people well and think. this was so this was what year oh seventy eight yeah so yeah so I mean that's interesting too like an interesting time period too because I do feel like this is a big like this time period is a big musical gap for me because like. This is not my parents' music. My parents' music is older than right, this. Right, right. And so, like, you know, I was born in the early 80s, so, like, I obviously wasn't musically conscious for probably another 10 years into the, you know, until we were in the 90s. But so, like, I would say, like, mid-70s to mid-80s, I'm like, I, there's, like, a definitely a blind spot there of, like, music I don't really know. Well, there's this weird thing about the 70s, the late 70s, which is, like, a crazy amount of music all happened at the same time at the same time like mm. or with like the evolution of things was like super fast like uh um i mean the sex pistols were in 1977 and the sex mm -hmm. pistols had already were like totally had are completely broken up by this point and that incarnation of punk rock already seemed a little bit over like that whole clash yeah. you know spiky hair like you know snotty like cover of the sun vomiting <laughs> punk rock was like that was all the summer of 77 that was all one thing and by 78 you already have things kind of splintering off and then even by like 1979 80 you have there's like ska oh right and yeah you know, so like th the the musical world was like spinning really really fast um but uh yeah and the, yeah, there's this whole like weird new wave thing versus punk thing, which is a very hollow, <laughs> strange. Like, yeah. I, I have to say, I'm, I'm, like, I didn't particularly care for new wave, but punk seemed like a very limited label because it's like punk rock. As I mean, I did not think this is not my original thought, but like, punk rock is one of those genres that is not defined by the musical style. Like, ska is a style. Right. Like, all yeah. ska bands have like. You know, all ska bands at least know a trombone player. <laughs> like, like, yeah. whereas, like, like, punk, say somebody's a punk rock band, like, Blondie has nothing to do with television, right. has little to do with Perubu, has little to do with the Ramones. It's like, you just, they, they're, they seem very disassociated, but they're all, yeah. except that they all like songs. So that was the, that was the thing, except, except for Perubu. Um, like, by and large, the punk rock bands seemed song based, which was, that was the thing that was very new. Yeah, it is interesting too because I do feel like that is still the case in modern day punk. Is that like I, I'm, I we also kind of started this podcast because I'm very into punk and Ramsey is not. So there is, there was also just like that dichotomy of the types of music we listen to. But even still in modern day punk, you know, it's still like is that band punk? Are they not punk? It's not. There's no clear delineation, and there does not seem. Like, I'll just go to a show where it's three punk bands on the bill and they all sound so wildly different. So it is interesting to me that that, I mean, I had not really thought about that being the case in the 70s, but obviously that's where all of this, you know, music that I listen to now also obviously came from. And it's still <laughs> the case. <laughs> now, Heather, did you, have you gone to a, like a van tour show? Like, like bands that are touring in vans no no like the the, the vans the, the the sneaker oh, brand vans warp tour. tour yes yeah. i have been to a vans warp tour yes and what's that yes like? 
That's a fucking nightmare. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a lot. I mean, it's. I'm not a huge festival person. I mean, do they in still general. do it all? Like, do they still like they got the 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 mosh pit going and the whole pass the dude thing yeah. happening and. Yeah, so I used to go to Warp Tour as a teenager for sure. Um, I would either go in upstate New York or like in Jersey, and it's just a bunch of sweaty teenagers in a parking lot. It's just not super enjoyable, but yeah, it is still the mosh pit, and you know, I don't know, like the phase of of like punk that I came up in does like to a point. I think we were talking to you earlier. It was also like a lot of very like broy punk rock, and so very dude focused. Definitely a little misogynist. Um, so interesting being a girl coming up in punk in the early, you know, late '90s, early 2000s. But I mean, there is though now I would say a more uh, I can't think of a better way to say this on this, but like more woke right. punk. You know, like people. It's like a much more. Here's a better way to say it: socially conscious um, uh, version you know, of that. Because everyone knows what woke means. Yeah, I just, it just feels like a gross buzzword, but yeah, like a much more socially conscious version, which was always there in punk, certainly. But I think in the early 2000s, there was like a very commercial version of punk that like was kind of gross. Hey, did you, know? you go and to Woodstock 99? Not... <laughs> uh, no, but I would have You said upstate New York. Me. I'm yeah. thinking of you at like in Rome, <laughs> New York on that weird... I would I'm from closer by Ithaca, but I would have... I was... You're from mm, Ithaca? Yeah. My whole family's from Ithaca. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm fr- so we we did an episode on the Woodstock 99 soundtrack because I was obsessed with it. I was 15, so I couldn't drive yet, so I couldn't go. <laughs> oh my god, you're so lucky. <laughs> yeah, that Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, that, that would have been horrible. Bad, yeah. That was something though actually when we did that episode that related to Warp Tour. They did it on like in an old airport. It was just like on the tarmac, like miles apart from, you know, each stage I think was two miles apart, which sounds like who planned this? <laughs> it sounds horrible. It, well, the the first you stop caring, <laughs> and and then yeah, you get very drunk first. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, I think I think the promoters stopped caring. I think they. Oh, you oh, know, they stopped yeah, caring. They, like like they just were like, we're yeah. doing this thing. It's a terrible idea. Oh wait, money. But the, yeah, <laughs> but we're gonna get the money anyway. Yeah. So. Oh right. <laughs> yeah. No, it was a horrible. Yeah. It was a horrible event. I mean, it's it, in a weird way. It's kind of, and it's also, was that the beginning or the end of? Oh God, I can't. I'm so excited. I've forgotten their names. The guy with the the original guy with the red hat, uh, Fred Durst. Uh, Fred Durst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that the beginning <laughs> of Limp Biscuit or the end of Limp Biscuit? Kind of, Mid- or the middle. Peak, peak, middle. It was Peak Biscuit. <laughs> yeah, because that was like that. I would say that's kind of peak new metal. Right. Limp Biscuit, corn, yeah, yeah. all of that. Yeah, yeah. Ninety-eight, ninety-nine. Pe- Real, that was like a real middle school era for me. So right around that, yeah, <laughs> that Wait, phase. Well, speak, a lot of new metal. Yeah. I mean, for, for they might be giants as a band. That was the most untenable time because all these commercial. It was not good. It was not good at all. But the thing that was really weird is that commercial alternative radio, which had come up behind all this college rock stuff, that was like yeah. you know, again a wide variety of stuff. It was like you know, Ten Thousand Maniacs and. Husker Du, you know, it's like a, a, all yeah. sorts of kinds of acts under this umbrella of like alternative. But then when new metal came along, all these uh, radio stations, which are all basically, you know, the radio stations are all run by jocks. You know, those guys don't. Yes. Those DJs, they they didn't really care that much about music. They just wanted to have Jägermeister shots. <laughs> on their morning show. And yeah. and so like they were like, "Oh, new metal. This is great. It's like it's like uh grunge with all the smart stuff shaved off. <laughs> you know, That's all true. the complicated stuff go- taken off. And yeah, new metal was the worst. I, and I it was like also metal, yeah. and I like new things. So right. obviously this will be good. <laughs> right. I forgot that it was called new metal. That's even more It's even more horrible. Yeah. Yeah, it. I was like the peak age to like be into it, but sure. it's. But then I found punk, and I was like, "Oh wait, this is good. I actually <laughs> like this." Right. This right. is just kidding. Just kidding. In retrospect, very bad. Very. Do not. And we 
we did an episode um, on the podcast of Corn, mm. which was uh, untenable for me to listen to. Someone who has seen them in concert, and I did not enjoy this. <laughs> Our, <laughs> oh, do you, it was do you, brutal. Do you, you don't you don't like the music of of Corn? Uh, uh, turns out I don't really enjoy it anymore as an adult. <laughs> right, right, yeah. I did love it when I was thirteen. That guy looks so dirty for real. <laughs> Like, he looks like a guy who really could use a long soak. Yep. Yep. I believe that is accurate. But then drain the bathtub and fill it back up again. <laughs> Double soak. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, Otherwise, uh, it's just a mud puddle. I know if pe- people who are listening to this podcast are the kind of people that enjoy a fruitful Google search. Hmm. There is... Um, <laughs> I would agree with that yes. assessment. Um, there is an amazing video, and I don't, I don't know where to find it, but... I, I have definitely seen it on YouTube sometime in my life of Fred Durst opening, Limp Bizkit was opening for Metallica and basically Great. the tide was, like the tide was going out on Limp Bizkit so fast, like basically somehow like it yeah. was like a reality TV show, like all of a sudden it was like it ended. I'm not sure why, it, I'm not <laughs> sure why it started, but it was, it, it also, as fast as it started, the their career really ended. It was like, it had a huge sell-by date on it. And yeah. the crowd just starts turning on Limp Biscuit in this crazy way. And I mean, you know, I, I can't handle, you know, 150 people in a club in Miami booing me. Like Fred Durst definitely could not handle <laughs> 20,000 super vocal, you know, 18 year old boys booing him. And so he's like talking on this wireless mic and he's like walking around the stage and they won't start the song. Like the drummer's tapping the hi-hat, like, let's go, let's play a song, Fred. It'll all get better if we just start playing the really loud song. And he's like, no, I want to talk to you people. You're like, you don't like what we're doing? Well, you know, like blah, blah, blah. And he's like, and he starts to try to get into a fight. He, he basically is like telling the audience, like, come on up here. Oh my God. You know, and it's like, you know, it's like really like a, you know, a page out of the Donald Trump is totally crazy book. Like, yeah. you know, it's like, do not, you know, like this is the worst idea you could possibly have. Wow. Like this is not going to work. And what's great is he's just kind of pacing around and he's sort of absorbed in this thing. And the sound man just walk, comes walking across the stage and grabs the mic out of his hand. <laughs> it's wow. beautiful. Like, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah. It's, be- it's like, it's beautiful moments. It's like, I'm not. I'm not gonna be on the stage with a thousand angry dudes beating the not sh- shit it. out of you. Yeah. Uh. Uh-uh. No. They'll fuck up my gear. Get out of <laughs> exactly. here. Right. Microphones right. are expensive. <laughs> right. This microphone's yeah. two thousand bucks. I'm not yeah. losing Get this. Get out of here. Yeah. I will say pre. I, it might have been right before the pandemic. I was in LA for work, and I found out that Limp Bizkit was playing somewhere, like somewhere small, like I don't know, summer smaller LA venue. And I like that night and I was like, I, I want, I want to go to this. <laughs> like, I was just like the idea of seeing Limp Bizkit. I don't remember if it was 2019 or 2020, but I was like, the idea of seeing Limp Bizkit in this year in an intimate setting is, is something I think I need to see. I really tried, wow. but I also tried so hard to get tickets, but I couldn't get them. <laughs> oh, I really wanted to go. Whoa. What would that be like? And you th- I assume, uh, I assume like watching a train wreck, but I don't know. <laughs> It's not, but it's not, not even, I mean, this is like such a guitar nerd thing to say. He, he, the, the, the cool guitar player guy isn't with him. Is, is it a reunion? Couldn't be. I don't, oh, I don't know. I assume it's probably just all people paid for the, that tour. I right. Can, yeah, yeah, I can't yeah, imagine. Yeah, yeah. But the idea of watching him, at, I don't know how old Fred Durst is, but just like, he's at least in his mid-40s. Playing the song Nookie in his mid forties just sounds like something yeah. I'm interested in seeing. Yeah, that that's that really. That seems like funny to me. Seems like a self canceling moment yeah, somehow. Heather, you didn't go because you were busy staring at a car accident, just, right? She <laughs> got distracted. Have you seen other shows like that? Not really. That well, no. One time I did go just out of curiosity to um, familiar with the rapper Lil Xan. Is he a slow rapper? Is he one of those people who drinks um, syrup? Lean. Lean. Yeah, yeah lean. His, Heather, uh, I'm not up on the drug lingo. <laughs> his name is Lil Xan. It's short for Lil Xanax. 
Um, oh, so he's he, so yeah. He, that's a different thing. Uh, yeah, but he. I would just a safe assumption he does. Them he all. does it all. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, he's like I believe it's a mumblecore rapper, and I oh, was okay. just very curious, and so I went to his show at Irving Plaza, and I. So that is the lean thing. Mumblecore is the lean. That is the the think, syrup drinking people. I think it's pervasive of multiple genres of rap, but yes, it is. I think it is also involved in that Damn. Uh, genre. Is it for from sure. Texas? Uh. I do feel like like the first rapper I really knew, well, 3-6 Mafia was like the first ones I remember rapping about it, but I also really associate it with Lil Wayne. Um, he's a was a big lean right. user at one point, so I don't know. Well, he certainly had a rapid fire delivery for somebody who was taking like a slow motion drug. I mean, how do you drink how do you drink cough syrup enough to get high and then rhyme spontaneously? You know like Lil Wayne just, doesn't write anything down. I think wow. that's pretty impressive. That's yeah, persistence. I saw, I saw him also recently. <laughs> oh, how was that? I thought he was in jail. Well, A, he got pardoned by Trump. But B, <laughs> right. okay. that, that did happen. Yes. Trump did pardon Lil Wayne. We are I don't in a even dreamscape. know for what. <laughs> that's right. Yep. Yeah. I feel, well, and it's about to get crazier because I saw Lil Wayne opening for Blink-182. <laughs> so this is where the wow. just a lot of simulation <laughs> first started to malfunction. Wait, I yeah. thought, but didn't Blink-182, that was, must have been a while back. This was last two summers ago. Blink-182 are a touring entity now? Well, yeah. The Tom DeLonge, the one who was... He started his alien thing, and now they have a member of Alkaline Trio in Blink-182, and they've released two albums with him. Now, is the... I have more Blink-182 facts. I I want them all. I want the full... (laughs) I got nothing but time. But, like... uh, But, wait. But, so... Is the Tom DeLonge thing, is that like, is that some manifestation of mental illness or is that? Or wait, did I mix this up? Did I mix the alien one up? No, you got it right. From okay, based on All what you taught me. I myself. Um, no, I mean, he really, he started an alien research institute that like is doing things. What? I don't know. Like what kind of things? <laughs> research, Lean? They literally, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. And then he has done things with his other band, Angels. In airwaves, but not blink. I think they're mad at each other. <laughs> okay, so it was just like uh, it was just interpersonal artistic differences, not. I think yes, I think so. I mean, they were they were a band for a long time, right. so I can only right. imagine. Right, right. You grow, you grow apart. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I, it's still the other two original members, and they're still touring. Well, the drummer is pretty kick ass, right? He's Travis amazing. Is amazing. Yeah, that he. Is, when I saw them. He played in a contraption that also spun him upside down sometimes. <laughs> I remember you telling oh. me about this. Yes. It was crazy. <laughs> is that like the the Motley Crue mobile? Like, Oh, yeah. I kind of think it's the it's a similar vibe. Uh-huh, yeah. Because uh-huh. that was the whole thing with Motley Crue is that they would, is that uh, uh, t- Tommy Lee would fly out over the audience in this sort of mm-hmm. cage or some kind of thing. And he was like seat belted into the drums. Stanton drum riser he's, thing. He's still drumming as he's flying? Oh yeah, he's drumming. He's drumming up a storm. He's doing a drum <laughs> sure. solo. And sure. then he flipped upside down. He would flip upside down. Wow. And he'd be upside down. Now you gotta lock down those drum parts real good. I mean, not just yeah. playing wise, but like the there's so many so many things that could go wrong. I would yeah, not this was like almost like a metal like orb that he would like be in and it would like go all like crazy directions with lights while doing a drum solo yeah yeah situation worth every dollar i mean he's also (laughs) i mean he's been this is a total tangent but he's now producing a lot of other like young pop punk kids albums a lot of like tiktok people who are like now putting out albums travis barker is producing multiple little pop punk people's albums Good for him. That's the end of my Blink-182 segment of this podcast. <laughs> Here, for people coming in late, this is the Limp Biscuit Power Hour. Blink-182 <laughs> podcast. Send your fan I mean, fiction I do, to us. <laughs> I do want to actually ask you about the album that we're listening yes. to. What are, what are your favorite songs on this album? 
Well, the, what's weird about this record is it's, it's, it's sort of monolithic in a certain way. Like, mm. I think mm-hmm. it was all recorded yeah. like in like two weeks in the same place. So it really, everything yeah. kind of runs into itself. Like, the first album was like he did was made in like three different places and it has different drummers on things. Um, uh, but this this album has this album has radio radio on it right yes mm-hmm. which it's the next song yeah so it's like I mean that was kind of like a, a big standout I mean that was like an amazing um, that was just an amazing fuck you song like it was unbelievable that somebody who was trying to make his way through a world with so many gatekeepers in it would write a song. That basically might as well have been called like the radio sucks. Like, like, like you know that's yeah. that's the that's your basically the radio is your lifeline. You know, right? Uh, to yeah. to having a career um, for a lot of musicians, and it certainly was seemed that way at the time. So it just seemed like yeah. this crazy, like kind of like I've you know I've got the house surrounded, <laughs> like yeah. I'm not coming. You know, like he just it just seemed like a like a a, not a circular firing squad. It seemed like it was just like a, a it was just like professional suicide. Yeah. This and the is first it. time I remember hearing about Elvis Costello was the I seeing a clip on like a SNL 25th anniversary thing where he yes yes broke yes. into Radio Radio, which is like the the live TV version of biting the hand that feeds you. Yeah. And I also uh, oh, oh I'm sorry Heather. No 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 go ahead. Oh um. Oh, the thing, the thing about the, that performance is that, like, I mean, you're, like, you know the, this world of production. Everyone knows the world of TV now. It's like he went from playing, like, a song on Saturday Night Live that was three minutes and 30 seconds long to play a song that was, like, two minutes and 25 seconds long on national TV, live national TV. So it's like, it wasn't just, like, I, want, I don't want to play that song. I want to play another song. It's like, I also want to have everyone in the control booth of this TV show screaming and standing up on their chairs, like, you know, howling. And improvise a new B sketch with uh, John Belushi or something. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was very, it was insane. It was very insane. And it just, I mean, it just amplified that whole sentiment, that whole, I do, I give zero fucks <laughs> kind of thing. Also, I don't know what's in the mix, but there was something in my left ear that convinced me I needed to look over my shoulder because I thought there was a bat in my head. <laughs> I, I don't know what it was, but I literally looked because I was concerned there was a bat in my house. <laughs> that was Nick Lowe playing tricks on you. Oh, God, it scared me. Bat! It sounds oh, like yeah, there's a bat was, in my it's, house. It's, uh, they're going, listen, 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 listen. Oh, my God. And you Which did. Is, whatever it is. It's only in my left ear, whatever it is yeah. in the mix, or or my headphones. I don't know exactly. That was the that was the part of the song that the other guys in the band would. It was the only time they really sang in the show, and they were so bad at oh. they were so bad at it. They, like after a while, they just kind of took the mics away. <laughs> they really couldn't sing. I did want to ask. I I clicked over to um, discography, and it was so long. I was shocked. <laughs> Uh, so many albums. Uh, so my qu- It was like one a year for a while, it's, right? It is the longest discography I have ever seen on this show. That is for certain. <laughs> um, my question is, do you love all of these? This is so many albums. Oh, um, I really fell off the Elvis Costello uh, train, like just tracking him, which was which was tough. Like probably exactly at the album blood and chocolate which i think might have been his 13th album wow. and it's the last in, in album 1986 <laughs> it's the last album he did with the attractions got and it and so it was kind of very much a return to this setup which was like really my very most favorite um but up until then i tracked him pretty closely um and then it just seemed like and then he was sort of off making records with string quartets and and doing sort of everything seemed like a departure from itself. Like he, he yeah. wasn't just being, he wasn't being like the official album. To sell. It was like every album became like an experiment, mm. which is a thing that people. Absolutely. I mean, also, I guess when you have this many albums, I don't feel like I would get bored. There's so many. <laughs> if 
I would want to do something different too. Well, Heather, life is long. I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm just, you know, I have a friend who, who thinks like bands should just make one album and then stop. And disagree. Well, it's, she's got a pretty good argument for it. I mean, okay. and, and sometimes like when I hear that argument, I think like, yeah, that's right. That's hmm. right. Cause it's two, you know, maybe two, maybe two. Maybe three. Well, that, that two is going to be my immediate argument because, like, sometimes the first uh, album I was thinking of it like in TV show where it's like first that first album sometimes is a pilot where right, you, you got to right, get right, a second right, one right, and you know like right, really work it out. Right. Well, that's I sort of feel like that's what the Elvis thing is. But 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 getting to the now and back to Travis Barker and TikTok. Oh, oh great! Perfect. Where. I was I was watching every every three months I look at TikTok for about two minutes and then put it down. Uh-huh. And so you watch seventeen videos. Yep. <laughs> oh yeah. And and it's you know it's it is like it is like pointing a, a cultural like fire hose at your face. Um, yeah. It's it's a horrifying world. Right. But um, mm-hmm. but the thing that I wonder from a music point of view is the specificity of the music that's on it. Is it is there a format that is the launching like do people go to a specific place to find the song that they're using? Like is it all from SoundCloud or is it all from where is it from? Like cuz it's not necessarily it's not just the charts. It's actually kind of the opposite of the Mm-mm. charts. Yeah, I do think some of it's SoundCloud. I'm not sure how they do it now. It definitely is within the app, and I'm not sure if it pulls from SoundCloud or what, but it is crazy because it breaks, it'll break so many baby artists like into mainstream culture. Oh, I know. I, I, I think, I think it would be like the, uh, the, the, the tombstone capping the end of our career <laughs> to have a breakthrough TikTok song that everybody hears, and then it would be like, I used to like those guys. Not, <laughs> not anymore. It, it would be really great for your career for half a day, and then yeah, yeah. But oh, yeah. so so on the app, they actually make suggestions of songs. It's like so it's for people who don't really care about the so- songs. Also, there are all these skits, these weird skits. People lip syncing. There's a lot yeah. happening, but it's but but in such micro doses that it's like mm-hmm. you're, it's hard to. I'm just asking for a friend, a very old friend named John. He's in a band. Um, uh, no, I mean, it, it, uh, like, I just, it, it's such a UFO. Like, the premises of it are so unknowable if you don't, I, I mean, I guess the truth is I have to care a little bit more to understand. But I'm just trying to get, like, sure. you know, like, uh, like, not, was it, like Snapchat, I just downloaded, threw away. Like, I just was like, I can't, mm-hmm. like, I don't, I don't get, the, like, there's no, go, there's no way to know how to interpret it. Instagram, pleasant. Too many ads now. But It's a lot of ads yeah, now. A lot of ads now. I think they're kind of, that's a mistake. But, um, but yeah, I don't get the music, I don't get the music part of. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't exactly know how they discover it, but once a song is popular it becomes a sound and then you can use that sound and people it'll become trends so it'll be like the trend is to do this dance to this song or do this weird little skit to this song or to do your version of this weird little thing and try to make it funnier to this sound right right and that's how it goes viral (laughs) yeah okay that that makes more sense to me because it seems it all seemed like it was coming from one sort of font of stuff like it there actually is kind of an aesthetic a weird aesthetic like the talking there part, is that talking right. stuff is like that's a, like out of some like japanese film or something like the weird like you think i am talking now and it's just like <laughs> what well, uh, right you know, a lot of tiktok is a it's a weird universe it, it feels yeah. like there's three thousand memes that everybody knows for about 20 minutes and then we all get bored with them yeah. and jump onto the next set and like there's no on-ramp because it's just constantly churning out new material. No, I would say the first 72 hours you're on TikTok, it makes no sense. And the more time you're on there, it starts, like, you start to, un- I meant I meant that in days, not, like, time spent, for the record. I don't know, I'm actually sure I have spent 72 hours on TikTok at this point in my life. But, um, it, yeah, because it's, like, its own language. Which part of it brings you back? Um, in, mostly insomnia, and I scroll on it in the middle of the night. <laughs> 
Wow. That's mainly it. I mean, I'll admit I'm like, I'm such a like shameless, like, you know, careerist just trying to like claw my way to the middle of popular culture. Like that I, I'm just, all I'm doing is like, I'm, I'm just looking to figure out how it works. So yeah. we can somehow participate, but there's no. Well, and I'm also too old. You need to find a Gen Z person and they'll explain it to you. Uh-huh. And tell you how to go viral and what's actually funny to them. Because I don't understand what's actually... Sometimes I'm just like, I, what is this? I don't understand. Like, what was what was the, the gimmick behind Old Town Road? Like, was there something attached to it? I mean, it's a catchy I song, think it but... Was a, I think there was a dance. Ah, there was a so dance. And, and, so- and he was just belligerent with promoting it, every, like on Twitter... And just it was it was a lot of tenacity on his part of just like making it happen. I think. I mean, belligerent in a good way because it <laughs> yeah. worked for him. No, he seems like a he seems like a delight to yeah. be honest. <laughs> he he does seem like a delight. He seemed he seemed like a a, a, a what kind of fellow? Well met. Hail a hail yeah. hail <laughs> fellow. That was. Well met. <laughs> yeah, it just seems like a like a nice kid. Um, well, the music has ended. Yeah, the music has ended. We finished the album. So my first question for you, Ramsey, that I normally ask you that you'll have to ask back to me at this point was like, I know you were more familiar with Elvis Costello than me. What are your uh, parting thoughts on this album? I have like forgotten how I usually end the show now because the the script is flipped on me. (laughs) Uh, I think this is still an amazing album. This is the one if I'm going to listen to an Elvis Costello, this is the one I'm going to put on. Uh, and then maybe I'll follow it up with an Oliver's Army and an Allison afterwards. But like, if 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 I really wanted to get nitty gritty, there's a couple songs I might skip. But on the whole, I I this is a really solid album. I, I just love the rawness and everything about it. I, as someone who was not familiar, sitting down and listening to a whole Elvis Costello album, it to the point I think you were making previously, John. I just pointed you in the Zoom as though oh. you were actually <laughs> right there. Um, it did feel like a whole thing. Like it didn't feel granted, obviously we're talking over it, but you know, it felt like one album versus like individual tracks, um, which I do tend to like that in an album. And it also, it is more like poppy than I think I thought it would be. I think I associate him a little more in my head with like, uh, I don't even know why, but like a little more like Americana E sounding like that type I'm, I'm not doing a good job describing it but this full album front to back was not like the exact sound i would have been like oh yeah that's you know what elvis costello sounds like so i think for me this overall improved my opinion of elvis costello <laughs> um for you john how often do you come back to this is this like do you listen to this regularly is this you know an album that is like a nostalgia play for you you know what's your pov on it well, I I have a record player, which is which is um, actually I have a couple of different record players in my house. I've got one in my studio, and I've got one, and we've got one in our kitchen. So we often listen to records while we're making f- dinner, uh, which is a nice way to kind of get away from like the cable news and and it's anything that's on a record is kind of already it's sort of trapped in amber a little bit, um, and so I just I kind of rediscovered the record a few years back and just really appreciated it even more. Um, I, you know, I probably listened to the first one more than any other record, but uh, yeah, it's interesting to me that, that he, I think the, the, the Americana Elvis is the, was the kind of the final big push that he got was for the record that he made for Warner brothers called Ramsey. Do you remember, do you know what your, uh. you're a Costello person what was that one called um i think it might have even been under the name declan mcmanus or something it was like a big budget record and it's got it's it spike is spike and it's but it's very Amer- american and mm. he's sort of like he's kind of like leaving his english ways behind and uh yeah i i, I guess i just like the rock i like the rock music i've you know I, i've yeah. also i've also um 
because I've been DJing since COVID happened, I've, I've been DJing a show at our, the local community radio station. And it's just forced me to just take a deep dive into everything. Like I listen to so much more. It was kind of a way to kind of keep me going in just in the world of music, because putting a, an hour radio show together every week, it's like such an active listening thing. And it's, you know, it's fun, like finding new bands and really hearing all these new bands and catching up with a lot of people. Um, but it's also like a weird thing just as a somebody as trying to program something that like is actually exciting to listen to. It's really like, it makes you really, yeah. um, I, I suddenly feel an affinity for those jock DJs doing Jägermeister shots <laughs> um, because it's like the up-tempo stuff really works. And this is his most up-tempo. So I've actually played a couple of songs off this record in the last year on the radio because it's like, it's such, it's so rock, you know, it's just yeah. so like ripping. I've never radio DJed, but I DJed once at a bar and it was very stressful. So <laughs> a lot of pressure. Yeah, I've, I've done that too. But I, did, I had my my one night debut. I think I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you? Just, I'm okay. Well, you 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 spin the stuff that uh, some people really want to hear. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was an emo DJ night, so it was a very niche thing. So, you know, it was just. It was fine. It was mostly my friends. <laughs> did you get people dancing? <laughs> uh, no one really dances to emo nights. No, they don't. <laughs> no, you get the occasional not at like, all. This one. I think it's like a finger yeah. point. Yeah. Really? <laughs> well, I don't There are some now that are like club nights, but those are not really like my my thing. It's a, it's a little slower. A little slower. Emo? I thought emo was kind of up tempo. It's not it's like pretty sad. <laughs> but like shoe shoegazy stuff is like that's sort of proto emo, right? That's like the British version of emo. These genres I think that's are the like same, I, I believe that's the same family. But uh emo yeah. My Bloody it's, Valentine? I'm, don't people dance to My Bloody Valentine? I feel like My Bloody Valentine, yeah, they're a little more upbeat, I would say. Yeah. But then you've also got, like, Dashboard Confessional and, like, sad acoustic-y stuff. Right, yeah. right. That's the, Ameri but, the, the American know. world. Yeah, yep. for sure. That we're all trapped in. It's true. It's true. Well, John, thank you so much for bringing us this album. This was great. That was a, that was a crazy manic ride. I... I, 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 I uh, I was a real chatterbox at the beginning of the show. I apologize if I like chewed your ear off, but it's just like it, looking back on those times. It's like it was such a it was such a weird uh, moment in my life. It was such a it was such a sort of a life changing time for me. Um, that just talking about it just kind of blows my my brains out. <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing that we literally asked you to be on our podcast to talk. So okay, well, good. <laughs> and it was it was a change of pace because like I felt like we were both being educated by Heather a lot of the time. Uh, it changed that's the true. dynamic a little bit. That's true. Now you know all about TikTok and Blink One Eighty Two's current happenings. <laughs> Woodstock ninety nine forever, man. We'll always have what, it. What a time! Yeah. <laughs> uh, John, is there anything you want to plug before we go? I got nothing to plug, Ramsey. Fair. Thank you so much for thank thank you so much for having me on. I really it's really very flattering. Thank you so much for doing it. This was a, right. a treat and a half. Uh, Heather, where can we find you online? You can find me at Heather Shea on all the things. How about you, Ramsey? You can find me at Ramsey ESS. Please give us a review on iTunes. Check out our website at ifyou'relistening.com. You can find all of our social media and everything there. Uh, and we love you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs>